0: KMTT, Kimitsion Tetzay Torah. This is KMTT, and today is Wednesday, the weekly share on philosophical discussions resolving around the story of the Ekedat Yitzhak. And this is Ezra Bek. In the previous Shiurim, we discussed basically, the three Shiurim, we discussed basically one long extended topic. Uh, which arose from the question of the ethics involved in the story of the Akedah. How did Avraham know and why did he choose to follow God's command even though he knew that it was unethical? Uh, and we examine this question, first of all, theoretically, how God could command such a thing, to how Avraminu could know what to do, and three, what in fact is the resolution? How does he go about uh, uh, fulfilling his obligation both to the Word of God and to the ethics of God? Today we're going on to a different topic altogether. We've basically finished our first discussion. Uh, I'd like to examine basically uh, the opinion of the Ramban, but uh, more than one opinion concerning the question, what is the goal? What is God's goal? What is the reason for the command given to Avamavinu to sacrifice his son? The as we know, begins with the words V'elukim nisa et Avraham. Normally, translated Nisayon and God tested Avraham to our own minds the word test is something given in school in order to uh, examine so that the teacher can find out how much the the student knows and by that sense Avraham Nisad Avraham God put Avraham to the test in order to find out something about Avraham namely will he do it or not so Jewish philosophers reject this interpretation of the Akedah because God knows the answer to the question, since he knows everything. There's nothing that God can learn about Avraham by asking him to do something. The Rambam puts the question somewhat more generally. He says, there are two possibilities. Either the Nisayon is for the purpose of God, or for the, the, the goal is for Avraham. If it's for God, can't be. God can't learn or gain anything from the Akedah. If it's for the Avraham, what does Avraham gain? That's Lamb's question. He assumes Avraham cannot gain anything from the Akedah. Uh, if he's a tzaddik who will sacrifice his son, assuming that's the correct answer. If he's the kind of person who will sacrifice his son, then he's the kind of person who sacrifice his son. If he's not, he's not. Uh, the general assumption also is, this is the Lamb that we take a test in school, the student doesn't gain from it. So therefore he says nobody could possibly gain or learn or, or, or derive there could be no benefit involved in the Akedah either for the point of view of God or from the point of view of, of, of Avraham Avinu. The Rambam's answer is that the purpose of the Akedah is neither for God nor for Avraham but it's for the rest of the world. For the Jewish people or for the world the world in general. And uh, he mentions two uh, results two benefits two lessons that the Yekidah teaches the world V'albam explicitly says that the Pasuk in the end of the Yekidah uh, when the Malach the angel says that V'albam ki ata ki ata that now I'm stressing the word now just to make us realize how crucial the V'albam's question is that now I know that you are one who fears God so of course on says what do you mean now I know before I didn't know God always knew and the angel always knew the Ram says, Atayadati doesn't mean yadati "ahodati." Yada now I have made known, not that I now know, but through this action I have publicized that you are Ayurayadokim. And that's the purpose of Akedat, to publicize its internal meaning. Now what are the two things that need to be publicized? The Brahman has two, two points. I don't think the list is necessarily exhaustive. He mentions two points. One is a technical point one that's very important, and it's important for our discussion in the past as well. The Ram says that from the Akedah we learn that prophecy is self justifying. What does that mean? If Avamavino at night hears a voice or sees a vision in a dream where someone, God, apparently God, tells him to sacrifice his son to kill his son then in the morning he will not do so because we all know that dreams are unreliable and visions are unreliable one can have a, a false vision one can have an illusion dreams are notoriously unreliable all kinds of things happen to uh, people in dreams I'm not going to ask you what you dreamed about last night but there are a number of people in the world who have dreams in which God speaks to them or the President of the United States speaks to them and hopefully they don't act upon those dreams in the morning. Now specifically, Rabbi Vinu won't act on it because he knows that it's forbidden to sacrifice your son. This goes back to our question in the previous three weeks. We assumed in my discussion that Rabbi Vinu faced a conflict between the voice of God and the voice of conscience and the voice of ethics. But of course that's not necessarily technically true. The real conflict he faced was between the voice of ethics and, and a dream, and, and a voice in the air. one says, no. Uh, one who has a genuine prophetic dream knows that it's a genuine prophetic dream. Something about the prophetic vision assures one that it's a true prophetic vision. Now, I can't tell you what that point is. It's impossible to tell what that point is. Because anything that I could describe, you could imagine. If I said that all genuine prophetic dreams are in very, very bright colors. So then tonight you'll going to dream a dream in very, very bright colors. It has to be something which, if it's not really there, you couldn't make up. You couldn't imagine. You couldn't have an illusion of. There is something about prophecy that is not borrowed from a regular mundane existence. Anything in a dream is no more vivid than in reality. But there's something about a prophecy that is, I'm saying more vivid, or more, it's more prophetic. It's, there's something about it which indicates to the person having it that this could not possibly be anything else other than the truth. Because otherwise, when faced with a prophecy which contradicts reason, as happened to Avraham you will undoubtedly choose reason over the, the prophetic or, or pseudo-prophetic uh, vision that you had. This point is, is, is controversial uh, s- simply because of the reason that it's it basically involving a point of faith. In other words, the Raman is saying there's something about it but I can't tell you what it is. Uh, it fits in with, with the Raman's general attitude towards prophecy. The prophecy isn't an experience but it's a direct apprehension of truth. It's not like it's not a religious experience. It's not an emotional experience. It's not something that takes place within you. It's something that actually takes place without you, and 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 therefore he can claim, without being able to define it, that it's inherently different than any other thing which would take place to a person. Rav Chas in Olas Hashem deals with the same question and and is and really is at a quandary. He he doesn't make the claim that he makes. He says there always in fact does exist some sort of a, a doubt as to whether it's possible that one's prophecy was in fact false, merely illusionary or delusionary uh, but he says in, in point of fact the combination of factors of being very very vivid and, and, and very impressive and, and somehow raises the, the odds to a very very high level uh, this reminds us of uh, the question actually raised some 100 years later, uh, in a more general sense, the same question exactly, by uh, John Locke as to how do we know that reality is reality? When you see something with your eyes. How do you know you're not seeing it with your mind's eye? How can you tell the difference between a lake and the illusion of a lake when walking in in the desert? And he didn't have a good answer for that either. His answer was very similar to Chasid Kreskes' answer. He says if you see a lake and walk in walking the desert but when you get there you can't taste it or touch it you know it's an illusion but if you can also see it and also taste it and also touch it even though of course if one can have a delusion of vision one can have a delusion of taste one can have a delusion of touch you're still only dealing with sensory perceptions and all sensory perceptions could be delusions but the combination the the coordination and the logical consistency when you close your eyes and open it it's still there that's what distinguishes dreams from reality. As we know, in dreams, things take place and then later on we realize it that they don't make sense. But of course, you could have a fairly rational, well-organized dream, and uh, you might be able to tell the difference between that and reality. This occasionally happens to people, usually we think they're crazy, but even relatively normal people sometimes really wonder whether or not things they remember happening a day or two ago really happened or were somehow dreamt or, or imagined. So, the uh, Hasai uh, has the same idea, but not, he is not questioning reality, but he is questioning a kind of reality, prophetic reality, as opposed to delusional reality. How does one distinguish between them? And he has no clear-cut answer. He has a, a percentage answer. The Raman thinks that the story of the Akedah teaches us that there is a 100% answer, because although in most prophecies you would need a 100% answer, if uh, uh, God came to the prophet and said, uh, go tomorrow to, uh, to Nineveh, as he said, to Yonah, then even if it's not 100%, you know, you, you think God said it to you, you should do it. But in a Avinu's case, where God told him to slaughter, he needs to be 100% sure that it's God's voice, or else the voice of reason will take precedence. Which fits in with what we said in the previous weeks. The only reason why one does not rely on one's reason is because one knows for sure that a mistake in morality has been made. But otherwise... As I pointed out, I think Judaism is based on the fact that we do in fact rely on a well-founded effort, an honest and concerted effort to use our own reason to determine what is true and what is ethical. Okay, So that's the first lesson of the Akedah, which is important that we all should know this, not because we're going to be prophets, because Kola Torah Kula is based on prophecy. The Torah itself is a form of prophecy. So one should know that the prophecies that we've recorded and accepted were assuredly true at least in the experience of the the prophet. Uh, I I, I can mention that the same same discussion arises on the basis of a Yerushalmin that says in the book of Yumi we have a meeting between Yumi and a false prophet. We know he's a false prophet because it says so. Hananiah ben Azur and who prophesies to the people that within one year the Babylonian army will be destroyed and will leave the siege of Jerusalem. And Yimear has been prophesizing that on the contrary, they're in big trouble and the uh, city will in fact fall in the hands of the Babylonians and the temple will be destroyed. We know that Yimear told the truth and we know that Hananiah did not because among other things, what he said did not take place. In fact, as Yimear prophesied to him, you will be dead within a year and in fact he died. And uh, Ushami says that Hananiah ben Azul was a true prophet, not a false prophet. In his past, he had experience. He was a professional prophet who, in fact, had received true prophecies. And at this particular case, he had made the error. He had, in fact, dreamt. I add, perhaps he was a decent fellow, an Israeli uh, 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 patriot. And his, his wishful thinking was that, of course the seed should be lifted. And at some point, he had an experience which appeared to him to be prophecy. And in relatively, I'm saying relatively, uh, uh, um, honesty, or, or attempted honesty, he publicized it, but in fact, was merely his own delusion. So, why was he punished? It, it, it comes down this kind of a mercy, like Why did in fact he make the error? It doesn't, this doesn't, Argue with the Rambam. There is a distinction which he should have been aware of, and he ignored the distinction. Perhaps he willfully ignored the, ignored the distinction because he wanted to prophesy the way he prophesized. It was based on an error. If it had been totally, it wasn't. He didn't totally make it up. He wasn't that kind of a of an evil person. Just got up one morning and said, "I am a prophet." He had this experience. He should have known the difference, but he made the error. So again, there was the discussion here involves the fine point as to. How does one distinguish between true prophecy and false prophecy? It's not simple, and therefore one could make the error, but God holds the prophets responsible for, for that error, because an error indeed has been, has been made. Second point in the Rambam is that the Akedah teaches us the limits of Ahavat Hashem. This already is an important halachic thing. There's a, a command to love God and to do His will in all ways, Is there any limits to that? Mitzvot do, in fact, have limits. If one has to fulfill a positive commandment, to hear shofar, to to get a luluf, an etrog, to eat matzah, so the halacha sets a limit as to how much one has to expend, what effort one has to make to do that. The monetary limit is 20% of your available income. If you cannot afford an etrog, Although you could, you could sell your house, you could sell uh, you could sell your children, you could sell everything you own and buy an a all, You don't have to. Because the mitzvah is set aside if the price is too high. Mitzvot lo ta'aseh, the average mitzvot lo ta'aseh, uh, the price which would uh, suspend the obligation is death. avov al if it's a matter of either eating nevedah or dying, you don't have to fulfill the mitzvah. But anything else you would even for a great deal of money, to save a great deal of money or to make a great deal of money, one is not permitted to eat forbidden, forbidden foods. There are three mitzvot, even death is not is not a limit. K'ilui arayot, Sh'fichut damim, and Retzach. And murder, incest, and idolatry. The Raman says, the mitzvah avat Hashem, the Akedah teaches us that its limits are in fact unbounded even if it's going to cost you your son. One is obligated. How much is one one love of God? If you love somebody, you'll give him things. So for my love for this person, I'm willing to do a lot, and to spend a lot. But would I give my son for my love for him? So here we say, yes, even that. Mitzvah comes to tell you, it doesn't make a difference to but we have to know how much we are obligated in in avat in Arvat Hashem. That's the Ram two points. The major point is that the whole story of the akedah is to teach a lesson to humanity or to the Jewish people. This raises an interesting moral question. Ram Avinu undoubtedly suffered greatly in the Akidah. I mean, he really was put to the test, in the more general sense of being put to the test. He was he was he was squeezed dry for three days, while taking his son on this long journey, until its final uh, uh, culmination, on the mountaintop. Why? so that we can learn a lesson. I think at least it raises a question as to how God could subject Avraham to such a thing when Avraham gets nothing out of it, merely to teach a lesson to other people. Part of the answer might be that those people are his children. It's part of Avraham mission to create Amisa. And therefore he also has to teach them the lessons that they have to be taught. Anyway, but that's the Rambam's attitude towards the Akidah. I want to read now the Ramban, not the Rambam, but the Ramban, on the word Nisa, or Kin who has a simple, but I think difficult point to make about why Avraham Avinu is sent on the mission of the Akhidah. In Yana Nisayon, what does it mean, a Nisayon? A test. Why are there tests in the Torah? There are two tests explicitly mentioned in the Torah. One is this one, the Akhidah, and the other one is, in Sefer Dvarim, the Torah describes the 40 years in the desert as being a test. Laman Nasotcha. That the forty years with difficult conditions, without food, eating only man, was a test to see whether or not you love God. In Yanani Nisayon says the Ramban, "Who the ati, hayot maseh adam roshut muchleted piada." You should know, man's actions are free. Man has free will. If he wants to, he does it. If he doesn't want to, he doesn't do it. So it comes to tell you that it's a test from the point of view of the tested. In other words, not that God is testing so that he should know something, God is testing so that you should get something. Again, the Ramadan had rejected this as well. The man says, no, the test is for the benefit of the testee, of the tested. But he who is testing, may his name be blessed, God. Doesn't get anything out of it. He does it. Yitzhab bon, Lo koach He commands the test in order to bring something from potentiality to actuality. lo sachar tov lo sachar tov Here's the crucial line. The purpose of the Nisayon is that the tested person should have the reward of a good deed and not merely the reward of a good heart. End of Ramban's comment. What is Ramban here saying? The Ramban said that from the point of Abraham Avinu, before the Akida he was a one who feared God, one who loved God. And after the Yaqidah He's one who loved God. He hasn't changed. Therefore, nothing has been accomplished from his point of view. No, from God's point of view, and therefore the Raman went on. The Raman is saying something is accomplished from Raman's point of view, even though his personality has not changed. Raman agrees. Now, Raman Binu is the same before and after. He is a person who is willing to sacrifice his son. But there is an advantage in having something be actual and not potential. Being one who is willing to sacrifice one son is different than one who has sacrificed one son. In what sense is it different? The Raman says Sakhar, reward. God wishes to reward man, to reward Avamavinu in his future life, for having been one who did a good deed and not merely having a good heart, not merely having the personality which will do good deeds. Okay? That's what the Raman says. This is not a simple ethical question. What man is saying is that if I live in a world in which there are no poor people, I'm a very generous person. Any poor person you bring me, I will give them the shirt off my back. But there are no people without shirts. So therefore, the foal in actuality, I do not give tzedakah. I'm not evil. On the contrary. God who is able to see into my heart, and most people wouldn't know if I'm generous or not they need to have it tested but God doesn't need so God looks into my heart and sees that I am brimming with generosity and it's clear it's clear to Gandhi and it's and it's true that any poor person knocking on my door will get my utmost help but there are none Ram, Ramban says you don't merit the reward you will not get the reward in Ulam Haba of the person who actually gave life now, he doesn't say I don't get any reward at all. He says, in order that you should have the Sachar Ma'asetav, lo sachat Tal Bilvad. Not merely the reward of a good heart, but also the reward of a good action. Now, is this true? This relates to an essential question in, in our religious lives in, in, in the way of the Torah. Is the ultimate goal of the Torah that people should have a perfect personality? or that they should lead perfect lives. Does one have a good heart in order to give tzedakah, or does one give tzedakah in order to have a good heart? Now clearly, or at least according to almost almost all Rishonim, when one gets to Ulam Haba, when one gets to the world to come, you're not going to be doing any more actions. So there it's just your personality. You know, the tzaddik and people who have a great personality are close to God. So it's clear that that's the the ultimate goal in terms of the next world. This world trains you and brings you to have a a, 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 a good personality. But the Ramban is talking about something called Sacha, reward. And he says the reward for a good personality, one who is filled with compassion. He's a compassionate individual. Whenever there is misery, he is compassionate. That deserves reward. You should reward good personalities, but the reward for actually being compassionate, forgiving tzaka, is an added is an added reward. Does our moral conscience agree with the Ramani's point? I can only give an example, but again, the question is why that's true. Uh, many organizations, for instance, the military, in the in the army, it's something more prominent among Jewish life here in Israel. Uh, if someone in, in, in an act of uh, in, during wartime does a great act of bravery he gets a medal suppose a few years have gone by unfortunately rare in modern Israeli history where there is no warfare but it's clear to everybody I mean it's really clear don't, don't, don't argue with me that maybe it's not true it's clear we know this man is a very brave soldier we're, we're 100% sure the world he faced with uh, being caught on the crossfire and then he would jump up and save his people and you, you don't give him a medal. You don't get a medal for being brave. you get a medal for, for showing bravery. Words, you don't get a medal for your heart in the, Rambans, in the Ramban sense. You get a medal only for you did it. And the man is saying that God, Bechasto wants to give you a medal for having a brave personality. He can't do it. And therefore, He sets up. He puts you in a situation. He tests you. He puts you in a situation where you have to exhibit the good personality. And then He can give you the reward that He wants to give you. Now, we have to realize there's an inherent contradiction. There's an inherent paradox in it. Why does God want to give you the reward if you don't deserve it? Panther, you do deserve it. If you do deserve it, why doesn't He give it to you? But in fact, the Ramban really does work on a a dual basis. In other places as well, uh, we'll discuss this in a a later point, Uh, we'll discuss the problem of evil as connected to the Akedah. The Ramban really has a dual system whereby, uh, at least in Olam Haba, in the future world, there was a relationship to the sum of what you've done and not done, and in a a relationship to the state of your soul. The state of your soul, here it's called Sakhar, Perhaps we shouldn't call it sakha. Simply, good people are close to God, and that is a reward. It's not like you're not being paid. You're not, That's not the that God says. I'll give you a medal. Uh, 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 people whose personalities reflect godliness are devikim bahashem. They're close to God, and they they definitely benefit from that. They they enjoy it. It's considered to be the it's considered to be the light of the soul. There's another system which says that if you did a, even if. I don't know why you did it, but you did A. So, justice demands that for good deeds one receives a reward and for bad deeds one receives punishment. These are two separate systems. One is what we call reward and punishment, meaning being, uh, I'm using this, I don't mean to be be, uh, in any sense belittling here. You're paid to do good deeds and you're punished for doing bad deeds. Because it's just. The other system is not it's not being paid or punished. It's simply you've, you've earned it. A person who is smart receives Chochmah. A person who is godly receives the, the light of God's countenance. You, 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 you've made your own reward. What's the reward of, 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 of studying? The reward of studying is being wise. That's not a reward that someone gives you. It's not the prize you get when you graduate college, it's the knowledge that you've acquired by studying all those all those years. And Mambani here is like, is like trying to match the two. He's saying, God knows that you're such a tzaddik, it's somehow wrong that you shouldn't get the reward of the actions of a tzaddik. But on the other hand, it's not actually merited because, as I said before, there's an ethical principle here which is difficult to justify even though I think at least I, I I I I sense the truth of it, but it's hard to explain for those who don't. There's an ethical principle that says that if you haven't, that in terms of reward, of payment, we don't pay for things that haven't been done. Even though you're willing to do it. On the other hand, your soul justifies a full measure, and therefore, what God does, Dinyan Sayon, is that God makes the world call us to exhibit. The qualities that we already have. I can't explain the Ramban any better. I think it's something which you have to think about, and I really leave it to your to your to your thinking. But it's a it's a view that explains the Aqeda. Okay, the Aqeda is an extreme example. But I think we should take the Ramban as being a principle about the world in general. The Ramban is saying that one of God's jobs, one of the things that God does in the world, one of the reasons why things happen to us, is so that we should exhibit our true metal. We should exhibit our true qualities. To be a good person and not have an opportunity to give stucker is problematic. Not because you're not a good person. You are a good person. But it doesn't exhibit itself. It doesn't express itself anyway. And therefore God will send poor people to the door of charitable people so that they can not only be charitable but also actually give charity. Therefore the Ramban concludes his comment, I'm reading one more line, Vida, you should know, that God tests the righteous when he knows that the righteous will in fact fulfill his will, and he wants to justify their them to, to justify them. So then he sends them a nisayon, but he doesn't test the evil because they won't listen. In other words, since the whole point of nisayon since the whole point of this test is to bring out your good qualities so that you can fulfill them, then God only tests those who have good qualities and He knows that they will fulfill them. He simply wants, not the assurance that they're going to do it, but He wants the actual concrete action because reward is justified by concrete actions. What what, what stands behind this, and this we're not going to discuss, but I think you have to discuss it with yourselves, is the value of the real world. Sometimes, religious ideology says that this world is just a... a field doesn't really count. The main thing is souls, your relationship with God, your inner world. No saying, that's 100% true, but there's a added value. There's a value added tax that says that a concrete action deserves its own reward above and beyond the soul, the spiritual relationship of the person who did the action with God. In effect, this justifies the creation of the world. Why did God make a world? So that people could actually do things and not merely, God could have just made souls and, and lived with them in heaven. But God made a world so that the souls could express in, in, in concrete and something real the good qualities that those souls have. Next week, we're going to discuss the next logical step, which is developed most extensively by Rav Kreskas in his book, Orashem. What did the Ramban not say? He doesn't say that by doing a concrete action, you become more charitable, more good. You're the same charitable person. The added value is in the actual action. The next step is to reflect backwards and to say that the value in concrete actions is not some sort of a, 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 a unclear ethical principle that says that concrete actions have value beyond the personality, but the concrete actions reflect back and develop personality. And that will be our topic for next week. Until then, call to This has been Ezra Bik, uh, series on the Akedah. And I'll be back next week for another half-hour discussion. Koltouf.